Welcome to the podcast of Local Community Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.church. Welcome to church. Um, So for those of you who weren't with us last Sunday, we kicked off our series of Life in Christ, which is that we're working through the Book of Romans this year. Um, And Derek sort of opened that, set the scene of when the book is set and Paul's writings with chapter one. And this week I'm looking at chapter two. Um, Honestly, Romans has probably not been my favourite book as I've grown up. I know that could be slightly controversial here in that I tend to lean more towards what I call the shins. You know, I love all like Corinthians and Ephesians and all that lovely, encouraging books. But what I would say is I have so much admiration for Paul. I have so much admiration for the passion he lives out his life in Christ. And so for me to spend a year looking at Romans and emulating the things he tells us are just non-negotiable for living a life in Christ. I mean, Paul's a very choleric writer. You don't get left wondering what he's saying. And so as I was considering Romans 2 this week, it really was just like I prefer the shins, I love preaching encouraging messages. But the thing I really felt God wanted me to talk about was this awesome topic of judgment. And um, Derek yesterday, I was like, how are you feeling about your message? I thought, hmm, <laughs> I know it's what God wants me to talk about, but it's not what I would naturally sit in. And I would go so far as to say the lead into doing the message has literally been me having to walk out what I'm preaching to you today, um, which I will share in some of my stories. But it is actually really challenging looking at the whole area of judging. And I'm not so much talking about our judgment from God. I'm looking at our judgment of each other and what Paul undeniably says about that and what Jesus says about that. So I'm just going to pray and hand this over to God, and then we're going to get into it. Ah, dear Lord, I thank you that, like we've heard this morning, you are a good, good God. You are also a righteous God. And Lord, I thank you that we have your word to learn what it means to live like Jesus, to learn what it means to please you and follow you. And I pray this morning as we look at this whole area of judgment, God, that your heart would be what comes through and that we would ultimately be encouraged to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I don't know how many of you are following through the Bible reading plan. If you're not, I would encourage you to. It's attached to the newsletter every week. But it just gives you an opportunity to have considered for yourself before you hear from us on the day what God might be saying. So I'm going to read this morning from Romans 2, verse 1. And if you'd like to follow with me, feel free. It's called God's Righteous Judgment. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's nice and fluffy and everything, isn't it? Um, One of the things I think is important to note is when a chapter starts with the word therefore, you can assume that it's following on from something that has been said before that. So we need to just for a moment consider how Paul closed chapter one. And that was that he actually talked about this idea that in the previous verses, Paul was listing out some of the sins that the people were committing. And it really is quite a full-on list. If we look at them, there's all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, faithlessness. The list goes on, but I think we get a picture. So it's not that they weren't things that you would naturally judge someone for. You know, this wasn't someone making a bad selection of putting two colours that clash together. You know, this was full-on stuff that we look at and we judge, and yet Paul was saying, don't judge them. That's God's job. I think the thing is, in the midst of this, and Derek was mentioning last week, there's a book that N.T. Wright does about Romans, and he has this great reference in there when he talks about this, that he had a teacher once who said that the moral law is like a sheet of glass, It doesn't matter how big the crack is. If it's cracked, it's cracked. And if as Christians we truly believe it is sin that separates us from God and we believe that all sin is equal and that none of us are perfect, we all have a cracked sheet of glass. So then who are we to judge the crack in someone else's? Now, I always think when we look at what someone like Paul says or James says or different people in the Bible, you've still got to bring it back to Jesus. What does Jesus say about it? And he's pretty clear too. So if we turn to Matthew 7, 1 to 5, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother with the speck. So clearly Jesus is telling us not to judge as well. And I was reminded as we did this, you know, the thing is, it's pride that sits underneath most judgment. There's a context of comparison. Sometimes we feel less than someone else, which creates judgment. Sometimes we feel more, but, but it's still there. And I love, um, in Luke 18, a lot of you might be familiar with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, because for me, this highlights it perfectly. And this has been quite challenging for me in the last couple of weeks as I've become more aware of some of my own thoughts. And it says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Oh, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not a cheater, a sinner, an adulterer. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Oh, such a good person. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I think it's pretty simple. There is a reason that God is the judge and not us. As we've talked about this morning, God is good, God is righteous, God is kind. In fact, God is perfection. And Paul actually references in the verse God's kindness, a word forbearance, which we don't use very much these days, but it's kind of like tolerance, um, and patience as being characteristics of God that are meant to lead us to repentance. And ultimately, this is God's heart for us. And we all say that none should perish, but it's repentance that gets us to this place. So I think this is one of the things we have to remember about why God is the judge, because God is invested in our repentance so that when we meet judgment, because we all will give account for our lives, it's through that repentance that means Jesus doesn't save us from judgment, but he does save us at judgment because God sees us through him. So it's so easy to talk about this harsh, cruel God, that judgment day, but actually... It's the loving, kind, forbearing, patient part of God that wants to give us every single opportunity to repent so judgment is done through us having Jesus. Does that make sense? He can't not judge us because he's just and righteous. There is no way around that. But what I love in this, and it says it, you know, ultimately for us, that's the heart of salvation. If you think about it, when he says, and I love this, he's kind, he's forbearing, and he's patient. It is literally God giving us every opportunity. It's a bit like parents with kids. No, no, don't do that. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> like four or five times because you want to give your child every opportunity to make the right decision. But ultimately, just like it's your child's choice whether they do the thing, it's our choice whether we accept Jesus. So God can set everything up. He can be patient, kind, loving, all of those things that are to draw us to him and who he is, but we have to make the choice. So I think that's the foundation we need to understand when we think of God as the righteous judge. But then, so why then is Paul and Jesus so clear about us not judging? Pretty simple. We are broken. We are not perfect as God is perfect. We are in a process. We are being transformed to be more like Christ. But we don't reach perfection until eternity. Now, if any of you would like to chat with me about it afterwards and feel like you're at perfection, I'm super happy to pray for you <laughs> for revelation <laughs> of your brokenness after the service. But I think the reality is we all have sheets of glass that have cracks and imperfections. And unfortunately, we often like to compare what our cracks are and how damaging they are compared to other people. We actually, um, I, I, was, I was thinking about this, if you think of the words kind, forbearing and patient, they're actually pretty much fruits of the spirit. 
like if we think of forbearance as the self-control sort of tolerance side of things, it's highlighting how it is the spirit of God that enables him to be able to judge justly because of that perfection. But interestingly, when we cast judgment on people, we're usually cruel, harsh and rash, the opposite of those three. That's, that's our flesh side. And I found this particularly interesting. So a lot of you would have heard of that context of first impressions. What was your first impression of that person? Well, they have done so many studies now, and it is pretty much decided that we either make a first impression in a tenth of a second through to seven seconds. So literally, if you've not met me before, as I'm walking up on this stage and I ask my husband to turn me on, you have probably made a judgment on me by the time I've made it up here. It's true. It's reality. What was she thinking? Why did he... You know, like, it's, it's actually how we're wired. We see people, we take it in, and then a whole lot of prejudices that we don't even know we have come into play and form an opinion or a judgment. First impression sounds much kinder, doesn't it? But ultimately, it's a judgment of a person. And it's also been shown it's actually very hard to shift that once we've made that. Another great reason we should not be judges, because actually so often that judgment is made using which part of our body? These guys. And yet we read everywhere in the word that we are meant to look at the heart. And so we are, I mean, my, my thing is, God, why did you give me these eyes that see these things and think these things when that's actually not how I want to operate? You know, we, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was thinking about this whole idea, you know, with the Pharisee in that, ultimately it's pride that's at the heart, pride and hypocrisy. And the thing with pride at its essence, it's ugly hard, is it, like I said, it compares us to other people. But here's the thing I was saying to Derek during the week as I've been processing this. The truth is our judgments reveal far more about us than the person we're judging. They say more about the condition our heart is in than the heart of the person we're judging. And like we read in the Pharisee and the tax collector, God shows kindness to the humble, not the proud. So I would say, before I prepared this message, I like to think of myself as somebody that loves people and wants to see the best and, you know, look for the heart, look for the gold in people, you know, all those great terms. But I don't know, well, it must have been because I didn't choose to want to know what I was thinking about people, but I literally felt like I had a magnifying glass on every thought that came into my head about people while I've been preparing this message. And it'll be fun for you to work out your judgments of me as I share my judgments that I've had this week. <laughs> but literally, it was as much as I was at the park walking my dog, the lady was on her mobile phone, and her dog that she wasn't watching did a big poo. And literally, my head goes, I can't believe she's not watching her dog. Is she not a resource? I would, I would never do that. Like tax collector, thank you, God, that I watch my dog and I pick up the poo because I'm a good human being. Now, it sounds funny, but I have cast judgment on her. She doesn't care. She's happy to leave poo in the park. What kind of human being is she? Or then I popped to the grocery store and, um, <laughs> and I'm standing in the queue for the express item and it's not what you think. They didn't have one more item than he had no items. 
So then I'm standing there, I'm like, oh, you're here to buy cigarettes. You're one of those people. Have you not seen the picture on the box? Do you not know what that's going to do to you? And they're so expensive. What a waste of money. Oh, thank you, God, that I'm not one of those people. That's expensive. I wasn't thinking that, but it's the same. But before I'd even made it to the checkout and I was walking down the aisle past the lady with the kids who'd filled it with lollies and chips and chocolate and nothing that was healthy, I'm like, mm, such irresponsible. I mean, why are you being so lazy? Why don't you just make them something? Thank you, God, that I buy fruit and vegetables and put them in my trolley. And, like, it's disgusting. I literally got in the car and was like, oh my gosh, I can't pop to Farmer Jack's without cracking my sheet of glass and judging human beings for going grocery shopping. And yet I would say, I'm not a particularly judgmental person, but well, you know, <laughs> there it is. Anywho, there were many, many more, but we'll stop there. <laughs> but it's the reality of judging. It sneaks in. You know, you see the person who's got chocolate in their trolley and if they're overweight, do we make a judgment versus the person who has chocolate in their trolley and doesn't? Like, what's it our business? What does it matter? And I was thinking about this, like all of the judgments that we make in our seven seconds, sometimes we're sexist. Now that can go, in the industry we work in, that can go both ways. Sometimes it's all in the favour of the women. Sometimes it's all in the favour of the men. But we cast an opinion. People will watch a panel and go, hmm, there's no women on that. That's not a very diverse panel. Who put that together? And I've got friends who put the panels together and literally been dragged over coals for not having diversity. And then they're told they're sexist. And one of them actually said to me once, what they'll never know is I asked four different women to come on the panel and none of them were available. But now I've been judged. Because we don't ever know the step behind the thing. I don't know who the guy was buying the cigarettes for. I don't even know why he smokes. None of my business. I could have been having a birthday party for the kids, you know, and I want her to be buying beetroot and pumpkin. You know, like we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes, so we can't make the judgments. There's ageist, and that happens for younger and old. I mean, I even go to the doctor sometimes and I'm like, are you even out of high school? Like, and they're probably 30, but I'm just getting old, so they look young. Um, and so I probably don't show them the respect they should have. There's racist. We judge people where they're from, the colour of their skin. And we have so many things that build into these. You hop on a plane and you notice the different people and how they look because we've been given fear of different people through different experiences. And then we put all of that on them, even though it might have nothing to do with them. We can be elitist. You know, we, we literally caught up with some people last night and when we asked one of the ladies what she did, she started it with, I'm just a. And good on Derek straight away went, you're not just an anything. She's like, oh no, but I'm not like in the... Blah. And it was like, whoa, that is literally protecting yourself from the judgment you think you're going to receive about your chosen career. And she does an amazing job. I don't know how many of you have heard when somebody's talking to you and they'll start the sentence with, don't judge me. Or we go, don't worry, it's a judgment-free zone. So we're all constantly thinking about this. We're wired to protect ourselves from it. Now, I am aware some of you might be thinking right now, Kylie, have you read 1 Corinthians 5? 
Because Paul actually tells us to judge our brother. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'd say if you've been thinking that the whole time, you might want to check that you want permission to judge. But anyway, we're, gonna, we're just going to take a couple of minutes to go into that. So for those of you who do know in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm not going to read the passage. And it's where Paul basically says, we are not called to judge people outside of the church, but we do have permission to judge people within the church. I think what's really interesting about this, and I did quite a bit of reading, is the situation Paul was addressing. This wasn't people doing occasional sin here and there. I mean, it was literally a son who was having sex with his father's wife and that had become a lifestyle. Paul had already written to them about it. They'd pretty much not responded. And so he was writing again, going, what is going on here? But two things. The same thing comes through this that we talked about in God in the beginning. The heart of Paul when he talks to the Corinthian church is to protect the flock and to actually release the person so they may find repentance. The heart of it was not to shame and accuse a person. It was to hold someone accountable to live a life like Christ. It should grieve us if ever we have to have that conversation with someone. It is not a permission to judge. And if you literally in your heart, feel that you want a permission to judge, I would go back to God. Because who's, who's the judge? God. And even in that situation, we seek God to say, what's our role in this? How do we represent you well? And even the other things, I, um, I put a note here of the types of sins he gave as examples, because he did talk about other things, but all of them were lifestyle sins people were living in. So the drunkard, the swindler, the person that was greedy, the abuser, it was talking about identities people were choosing to live in that were not aligned with the identity they had in Christ. And his heart was, if we permit this to continue in the church, what we permit, we promote And suddenly that becomes okay, and that's not the heart to protect the flock. But I just want to clarify, don't see 1 Corinthians as something that cuts across this and gives us permission to judge people. It's a protective, accountable, disciplinary thing that happened because actually it was heartbreaking what was happening in the church. Like, it was heartbreaking, and you couldn't just ignore it anymore. Anyway. Just thought, you know, better touch on that. So as we return to Romans 2, I guess what I wanted to finish with is, what are we to take away if this year is about what life in Christ looks like? What is Paul telling us that helps us live like Christ? So, you know me, I love my key points. First key point, God is the only righteous judge. And he is far better placed for that role than we are. So let's not assume his responsibility. I think what we need to do is live with a lens of pleasing him and remembering that each of us will give account for our lives. We will all be judged by God. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's his spirit that leads us to be more like him. That's how we trade his spirit, his righteousness, his humility. 
our flesh, our pride, our sin. But the glass doesn't become completely clear until eternity. And that only comes by spending more time with him. More time in his word, more time in his presence, more time in worship. God, make me like you. Secondly, as I said before, our judgments say more about what's going on for us in our heart than what's going on for the other people. Judgments reveal our pride, our superiority or inferiority, our prejudices that sadly we're often not even aware of. And I think for me, this is one of those areas, and I'm a big fan of David, but Psalm 139, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because the truth is, prejudices come from roots we often don't even know. But God does. And so when we ask him to search our heart, when we ask him to show us the things in us that are offensive to him, he does. He's faithful. He's good. He's righteous. He wants us to be more like him as well. So that's my second tip. Remember, your judgments reveal more about you than other people. So ask God to search your heart and show you where they come from. Because ultimately, as we look to have a life in Christ, we are called to be people who love God and love others and see people through his eyes, not ours. He sees the heart. He sees the gold. He sees the potential. And lastly, I just think it's a timely reminder. It is far better we choose humility ourselves than have God have to humble us. I don't know about you, but of all the things I want God to do in my life, <laughs> the way he might humble me might be challenging. So I would rather ask God to change my heart to always be a heart of humility, not pride. Humility is such a beautiful characteristic in people, Christians and non-Christians. It's attractive. It draws, draws you to people. And I'm not talking about false humility or lack of self-worth here true humility. But the edge that a Christian has is that humility can come out of a recognition that all I am and all I have is because of God and his gift of grace through Jesus. And when this forms the foundation of our identity, it actually removes any place for pride or judgment because genuinely we know and live out of the truth that there but for the grace of God go I. Or in the words of Paul, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So my challenge to all of us today, myself included, clearly, <laughs> before I pop to the shops again after, <laughs> I felt was summarised beautifully by Micah. He says, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So when each of us stand before him, we can say, I know I didn't get everything right, but I tried to live in a way that pleased you and loved others, knowing he will see us through the gift of his son because of repentance. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has encouraged and inspired you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.com. 
Dot Church. <laughs>